Happy Monday, everyone. It is Monday, June 6th here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield have successfully navigated another weekend. Mark, I believe you were actually on a sober field trip with some uh, kids to a museum in D.C. Is that correct? Yeah, there's nothing more enjoyable than spending a summer Saturday at the National History Museum with a classroom of a class full of four-year-olds and five-year-olds running around looking at dinosaurs. Well, as uh, as a number of our editors told you, that's what flasks are, are for. That's See, what I hear. W- what was funny was I didn't think of that, and then we get to we get to the Natural History Museum. Of course, you're thinking, you know, it's absolutely, completely, 100% sober there. Sure. And then we went to the IMAX, and the concession stand there was actually selling beer. There was really? a guy in line selling beer, and one of the other dads in my who was there with us, a guy that I'm really good friends with, was like, I'll go. I'll totally go to get out of line and go to the concession stand. But at this point, you know, it's like <laughs> 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm dead tired anyway. If I have one beer, I'm going to pass out and my kid's going to be – he's going to disappear. So I just – I had to make the smart dad decision and not do it, but – I really wanted to. You toughed it out, but the big news is we did made it make it to uh, another Monday. And did. the good news is we get to talk a little bit of uh, 2017 draft with it now being June. You know, we're only about a month or so away from camp opening up for a lot of teams, starting to get really into it now. And we're joined now by John Ledyard, who just came on board with us about a week ago. And John, appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time to stop by and say hi to Mark and I. We're, we're pretty happy having you on board all the time now. <laughs> hey, it's good, guys. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the podcast, excited about being on board with um, you guys. I mean, you're obviously creating a great product at Inside the Pylon, and it's a real blessing to be a part of it, so I'm pumped. Now, John, your first piece for us is on a guy who had one sack last year, so talk to me about the inspiration. Yeah, I think that a lot of time we look at production, and it certainly matters. There's no question, uh, but when you look at it just by itself, sometimes it can be deceiving. For example, if Carl Lawson, the player that I wrote about, uh, was a little bit better at tackling, and the reason he isn't probably stems from the fact that he hasn't played much because of injury over the last couple of years, but if he was a little bit better at tackling, we'd be talking about a guy who had probably six or seven sacks in only seven games last year, at least. So just in the five games I watched, I think I saw him whiff on five sacks that he had the quarterback dead to right. So that can be a little bit deceiving. You know, teams are going to obviously want to see the production uh, on the stat sheet. But for a guy who has really played so little in Carl Lawson, I found his tape fascinating. And here's a guy who as a freshman had four sacks, as a true freshman, uh, was fantastic for, for Auburn. The next season missed a whole year with a torn ACL. Then this past season supposed to be his big year where he comes back out, establishes himself as a premier pass rusher, and enters the draft early. Instead, as a redshirt sophomore, he ends up uh, hurting his hip and missing a lot of time and only playing in seven games and even parts of those games he wasn't fully healthy. But even in that state, the tape and the level of play and the sophistication that he brings off the edge as a pass rusher and as a run defender for a guy who really has barely played at the college level is really eye-popping. You do not see that very often at all among the college ranks, let alone for a guy who's played as little as Lawson. So saw all that. It got me really intrigued by him. I think in the midst of a great pass rushing draft, he could be the best pass rusher among them. So I'm looking forward to seeing him this season, and hopefully he stays healthy because that's the key for him. John, looking through uh, the tape that you watched on him, when we talk about the skills and, and the different moves that he has, is he a guy who appears to be versatile with a number of different moves and counter moves, or does he typically have one way, one you know, way to attack a, an offensive lineman that he typically goes to? Yeah, that's the nice thing about Lawson is that I wouldn't say that he has 
the most versatile package as a pass rusher. You're, I, I haven't seen a spin move from him very consistently. He's not the most bendy guy. In fact, I'd say Miles Garrett from Texas A&M, maybe a little bit more of a bendy pass rusher when it comes to winning around the edge, maybe a little bit better of an athlete. But Lawson is a very good athlete who is much more sophisticated with his upper body and his hand usage, I think, as a pass rusher. So we talk about, or we should talk about, I think, body control a lot more as a pass rusher. And to me, when I watch Carl Lawson, there's always a plan, and he executes that plan without a whole lot of wasted motion. So I love that about him. I love that he is always looking to initiate contact and initiate his will kind of uh, in a one-on-one interaction with with an opposing blocker. Um, it's one of those things that sets him apart. So he wins in a couple different ways. He can win with a rip move. He has a really explosive first step, and, and I'll start there actually because that kind of opens up a whole new can of worms for him. So a lot of college offensive tackles right off the bat, they can't stick with a guy with the first step that's explo- as explosive as Carl Lawson. So he can win just in that way. Miles Garrett often wins just in that way with the, with the first step or with his ability to out-athlete people. Lawson can win a lot of times, and when you watch him against Memphis and Louisville, he wins in those ways. But when you watch him against Laramie Tunsil, against Cam Robinson, against Jermaine Ifedi from Texas A&M, then it becomes a little bit tougher, and you really get to see how he's not going to win every rep, and that's okay. Pass rushers don't win every rep. We know this. But you can see him think through his rushes. You can see him use a club move with the proper hand on Laramie Tunsil. In fact, it was probably the only rep I can remember seeing in the seven or eight games I watched of Tunsil where he lost clean to a guy. So to me, Lawson played his best and showed a dynamic approach and ability to rip the edge and ability to use a club move to swim guys, um, to use speed to power and one arm rush guys when he needed to, but also to win with leverage, which is a little bit easy for him at six one. So he shows a variety of ways to attack, I think as a pass rusher that, uh, you know, leads to a lot of success for him, leads to a lot of pressures. He needs to convert more of those pressures to sacks, but I love the variety that he does show as a pass rusher and his ability to use a more sophisticated approach instead of just trying to out-athlete uh, those, the better athletes that he might face uh, at the college level. John, I wanted to talk to you for a minute about competition here because there's there's two questions and two issues that you raised in the piece, which I think are really well done. First is, and you just talked about this a little bit, but maybe you can dive into a bit more, is how Lawson was able to win against upper-level talent, guys we just saw drafted in the first round coming off the edge. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that was fun to watch when he played a guy like Laramie Tunsil. I mean, Tunsil, if you're trying to beat him, it almost has to be with – uh, hand usage or something of that nature because he's a fantastic athlete. You're not going to beat him around the edge very often. He's also great at coming back inside and taking away your counter moves. So even if you try to get up the arc and then counter back inside, if he oversets, you're still looking at a, at, at a guy who's athletic enough to get back inside and close off that inside gap if he needs to. So from that perspective, you, you need to win almost uh, in a physical sense. Um, and so I love. I wanted to see Lawson not back down from that challenge, and he didn't. A couple times you saw him with a rip move where he was close to beating Tunsil. Uh, one time it, w- it was the one that really stands out, and you'll see it in the piece. But he he snapped his right arm down and clubbed Tunsil's outside hand so hard that actually, when you look at the slow motion replay, Tunsil's wrist looks like it flops as if it's broken. 
and Tunsil actually mm -hmm. falls forward, and Lawson is able to get around him and just misses the sack there as I think the quarterback wriggled free. But that's the kind of power he has in his frame, uh, and Lawson is heralded for his work ethic and uh, what he does in the weight room and in the offseason. So from that perspective, he's very NFL-ready, but that power really manifests itself on the field, whereas some guys are just kind of workout warriors, weight room guys. Lawson, that power really translates very clearly to the field. Um, he's very rarely pushed around or bullied. So when he faced against a guy like Tunsil, you know, there aren't a really a lot of knocks on Tunsil, but he was able to, instead of trying to out-athlete him and failing, which is what Miles Garrett did a lot of the time when he faced Laramie Tunsil, Lawson instead took that much more sophisticated approach and said, I'm going I'm to think through my rushes. I'm going to think through what you're doing. And the moment you put your hands out there to punch, the moment you shoot on me, that's when I'm going to take my shot on you instead and counter uh, your emotion. So you kind of have to be really, if you want to beat a guy like Laramie Tunsil, especially clean like he did in that rep, you really have to be with it mentally. Uh, and for a guy who has played so little, like I said, seven games in the last two years, um, and at the time he played Tunsil, it was even less than that. So for a guy who's played so little to be able to think the game at that speed against top-tier competition for Jermaine Ifedi, it was more of a, this guy is a classic waist bender. I'm going to wait for him to initiate contact. I'm going to swim over him. I'm going to rip around him. I'm going to wait till he's off balance instead of trying to go right into him because that's where Ifedi's good. He's good at that speed to power stuff. But wait till he gets off balance. Then you can get around him. You can use your hands to kind of knock him off balance. But don't engage him because Ifedi's really strong and he can hold up well at the point of attack. So just his ability to think through that and consistently keep himself free from from a blocker, I think that was just such an encouraging sign to me that he's a pass rusher that has a plan of attack, wants to execute that plan, and consistently does so. Now, you're not going to win every rep still, uh, but you see him going through those steps both mentally and physically, and it's really encouraging. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you also looked at Lawson's game against Louisville, and that was an offensive line that had some injuries. It was Lawson up against lower-level competition. But as you point out, it's also important to see if a player, particularly like an edge player that's going up against one-on-one -on -one matchups, to see if they can dominate in those situations. And as you point out, he did that, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and, and you're right. And a couple of people actually said to me on Twitter, like, oh, don't use, don't use the Louisville game. We had a lot of young guys. You know, we had, we had some people, you know, who shouldn't have been playing in those certain positions. And, you know, don't use the Memphis tape. You know, their offensive line wasn't up to the cow. Well, you know, you want to see those guys in those situations because you want to see how you respond, you know. Um, you want to see how the, they take on that level of competition. Do they rise to the occasion and dominate every snap, or are they kind of picking and choosing their moments? And for Lawson, especially against Louisville, I think, he played the first quarter and was great, okay? I think it was like the second play of the, of the second quarter, he got hurt, you could tell, and he was limping after the next couple plays, uh, and it was actually that game that he ended up sitting out the second half and that's when he actually originally suffered the hip injury or when they assume he originally suffered it. So he was injured for that second quarter, clearly. Uh, and he, he still, you know, one, I think they gave the sack to someone else. I actually thought watching the tape, I watched the play a couple times and, and I was like, well, he should at least get half a sack here. Um, but he, he ended up getting a sack still in that second quarter um, after he was hurt, probably should have been credited with another one and had a number of pressures. And not only that, and teams are going to love this, it wasn't just his work off the edge against tackles where a lot of time if you're a great athlete, and Lawson's a very good athlete, especially in short areas or small areas, it, a lot of times if you're a great athlete, you can win off the edge in college. 
But what Lawson shows and what I love is that Auburn kicks him inside and is completely comfortable with him as an interior pass rusher. He mans that three-technique spot, and he really works guards because he's so quick with his feet. He can get on their edge really quickly, and then his hands just take over. He's too strong. When he's on your edge, it is so so difficult for a college guard to redirect that kind of power. It's just very, very tough for them because Lawson is so strong and so good with his hands. So you saw guards try and do it, but against Louisville, I think it was I think it was when he got his first sack. I think I'm remembering it right, and it was against Louisville. But um, he actually he tried. And this is another thing that I'll, I look for in pass rushers: can they string moves together? And with Louisville, he's inside three technique, doesn't play there as often. How's he going to respond to a new challenge at a position that he doesn't play? On top of not having played period that often so now you're putting him in a new spot and he's able to swat with both hands the swat actually doesn't take he kind of misses the guard's hands he's trying to knock his hands down and then rip around him uh, while he's off balance and while his head's down instead what he does is the swat actually misses but his feet are so quick he's already on the guard's edge by the time the guard can respond and he's able to power that rip move through and just keeps his legs churning all the way to the quarterback and finishes that one with the sack so a couple of times you saw it against Memphis. One time it was off the edge. He tried to go with the speed to power rush. The tackle was ready for it, kind of like dug his feet in and actually lunged out and launched himself and, and got a pretty good pop on Lawson. But Lawson kind of saw his head drop and knew he was coming to deliver that blow. And really quickly he was able to transition from the bull rush to the arm over and hit that swim move on him. And then he got right up that edge and got into, into the backfield to pressure the quarterback. So it's that kind of thinking on your feet. That's a natural instinct as a pass rusher. You can see, like I said, a million times, he hasn't played that much. It's not like this stuff, you know, is stuff that he is ironing out. I mean, there's a degree of that, but a lot of this is just such a natural ability to rush the passer, to think on your feet, uh, and to be able to use a variety of moves, even against lower-level competition. That stuff's going to translate. That stuff's going to work. You know, running up the arc around tackles who can't move at all, that may not translate. We don't know. We have to see that against upper-level competition. But the kind of stuff that he does, the sophistication he shows mentally and physically, I think that's the kind of stuff that will translate against uh, teams like Memphis and Louisville or teams like Alabama, uh, Texas A&M, and so on. One thing that stood out to me was that in a couple situations, it seemed to me like Lawson's play recognition wasn't quite up to where you'd like it to be. And my guess is that's probably just due to the limited time that he's seen because of injuries. Question for you, John, is did you feel the same way watching the tape? And what can he do to improve on that uh, heading into next year? Yeah, absolutely. A good observation. I completely agree. It didn't. I didn't quite get to it in the piece because the piece was already pretty long, and so I was trying to condense my thoughts and take a little bit more of a pass rushing look at it. But you're right that that is one of the areas for Lawson that's going to be a struggle, particularly in the run game. Physically, he's great in the run game. Um, in terms of assignments, sometimes you saw him lose the edge, never in a physical sense, uh, but sometimes with his vision, he was a little bit slow to recognize where a receiver might be coming down the line of scrimmage for an end around or something of that nature. He was looking in the backfield. Uh, and so I think some of that comes with tape study and, I don't know whether he hasn't done it. You know, it's hard for me to determine that, uh, whether that was a new wrinkle. Some of those misdirections were where he really seemed to be a little bit confused and guessing more than reading um, and some of those situations. So some of that is definitely going to come with being on the field. I think that's one of the hardest things to do on the field is to keep edge responsibility while also, you know, he's a guy who wants to get after it. You know, if the quarterback's going to, 
keep it and go after the guy he wants to go chase that guy. You know, that's what he wants to do. But to be disciplined and learn to play your spot, period, and don't let anything outside of you um, in those situations, I think that's something he's just going to have to wrap up. I think we'll see him get better at that um, because he does play with such a high motor. He is so committed to the game. Uh, there's no reason to think he can't improve in those areas. Um, but that's certainly one thing that you saw on tape. A couple times he got beat on misdirection and so on because he took a couple false steps or was just really slow to react and in his read of the play. So I think that'll come in time, but it's definitely something that I have in my notes to, to watch for this season. John, sort of the elephant of the room right now might be his injury history. I mean, we have talked about how he's missed significant time. He hasn't played a ton. He's got an ACL injury in his past. He's got the hip flexor injury in his past. Does that concern you at all as well? Yeah, that's tough. That, I mean, that, that that it definitely is concerning. There's no question. I mean, you, you, like you said, you, you, eventually you need production, you know. So this season is important for him. He can show a ton on tape, but if he can't stay on the field, teams are just not going to – when we saw that this year, I mean, we saw that with guys who were on the field for the most part uh, that had injury concerns um, that were substantial for sure, uh, and it dropped them down the board. So he really needs to – he clearly showed last year, I think, in his tape – that the ACL isn't a factor. I mean, it just, you know, unless there's a re-injury or something like that, but in terms of on-the-field performance, he was better, if anything, uh, after the torn ACL. So that's very encouraging. Now, I, you know, obviously I can't speak to medical reports, dig up a million things these days, so I can't speak to that, but it is probably the biggest area of concern with him. He's got to show that he can stay healthy. I mean, hip injuries, we've seen a guy like Dennis Pitta taken out of how many years now for Baltimore with hip injuries. We've seen... Those those can be scary. So teams are going to have to monitor that really closely. Um, you know, the part of that's going to come down to just the medical evals and stuff like that at the combine. But for this season, it's really important that he avoids major injury and stays healthy. So obviously, there's very little he can control along that line. So we just hope and pray that uh, he's able to stay healthy because I honestly believe if he's able to stay healthy and start finishing some of those plays that he creates, uh, I think we're talking about a top ten player. Um, and I think we're talking about a guy who's really a pretty slam dunk prospect if he plays stays healthy. I mean, he, he's just that well-rounded and dominant already uh, from so many perspectives of the position um, that I think we're talking about that caliber of player. So let's hope he stays healthy so we can uh, we can evaluate him without having to worry about some of that stuff uh, when we do it uh, this fall. Definitely. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we check on his progress this year. It's going to be pretty exciting to watch to uh, to see really where he's going to be able to go this fall. As you mentioned, very talented player who just unfortunately hasn't been able to stay on the field enough. Uh, and you hope that's something he can put behind him. It's it's difficult, I think, to, sh- to shed that uh, injury-prone tag. But hopefully he's a guy that's able to do that and, and really show his talent over the course of the season here. Uh, but, John, we are pretty much uh, out of time today. But certainly, uh, you know, as always, it's, it's great to have you on. It's great to have you on board working with us right now. And, you know, we're pretty stoked to see what we can uh, get into over the rest of 2016 and hopefully into next year. Definitely, guys. I'm excited about it, excited and grateful to be on board. And uh, this was fun. Uh, let's see it again sometime. You got it, buddy. Chuck Zada, Mark Schofield, we are wrapped up for the day on the Quick Kicks podcast. The good news, if you want a little bit more, all you have to do is wait about 24 hours. We'll have another one rolling out tomorrow to keep a little bit of football going in June when no one else is doing anything. Chuck Zada, Mark Schofield, we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.